bird's crap on everything. Erect a beautiful, hand-chiseled, true work of art, a monument to a national hero, and it'll be covered in excrement within a week. Maybe a bird had crashed your airplane. Maybe one's stolen your pet. Maybe one's even poked your eye out, all of which are completely true things that have totally happened. Depending on where you live, you might hate magpies, seagulls, or pigeons, but as for this episode, I want to tell you about one of the most offensive, aggressive, disease-spreading, vehicle-damaging, child-attacking aviary nightmares across all species. Crows are the worst. Montreal. I was going to sit outside for my lunch break as per usual when it's nice out when I was chased by three very large crows. I had my hair pulled and the earring pulled out of my ear painfully. Toronto. The back of my head was clawed at and I ran away in terror. Portland. A crow swooped to attack me on the on my balcony. Totally scared to water my plants now. Constant cawing all day as well. Vancouver. This crow terrorizes me. Every time I leave my house and it's around, it tries to jump on me and has before. It has waited on my car windshield for me when I leave and arrive, ready to pounce. I literally run in and out of my house. These are all quotes from a graphic information system online created by a Jim O'Leary a man dedicated to providing information on attacking crows. O'Leary is the operator of Crow Tracks, and those are just a few of the thousands of crowdsourced reports about crows dive-bombing or clawing at people's heads. O'Leary and co-worker Rick Davidson created Crow Tracks as a response to a fairly common incident. There was a crow's nest in a tree, and it was a battleground. The crows were attacking everybody on both sides of the street, and I thought there's got to be something we can do about this. And it turns out there was, and so they did. Most of Crow Tracks mayhem falls inside urban boundaries. Crows love cities. With food waste at an all-time high and rules against control efforts, in fact, Vancouver has said that it won't remove crows' nests or eggs, instead advising people under bombardment to take an alternative route or use an umbrella? Cities are also more hospitable during wintertime due to the heat island effect. Ariel aberg Regier in her City Lab story said recent decades have seen crow populations rise 425% in Albuquerque, 122% in Sacramento, and 187% in Hartford, Connecticut. That's crazy. I'm always very careful to say that I do like crows, O'Leary says. They are a very smart bird. They're one of the few animals that use tools. They remember you. They're social creatures. They work together in a team and are very intelligent. I want to say nothing negative about the crows. Except I wish they would not attack us. 
Poor Jim sounds like he's got PTSD from all these stories of bird trauma he has to read. They remember us? What is he talking about? John Marsluff is a professor of wildlife science at the University of Washington. He studies how humans affect birds with increased urban sprawl. Conversely, he's also interested in birds affecting people. He wrote Gifts of the Crow, How Perception, Emotion, and Thought Allow Smart Birds to Behave Like Humans. I gotta read this. He's received numerous awards for both his work and his writing. I first became aware of John while I was watching a PBS documentary where his team made some incredible findings right on their own campus. Marsloff and a team of researchers captured with a net and tagged seven crows, which the crows did not appreciate. While doing this, they wore very specific looking masks. Marsloff called his the caveman mask. It's pretty ugly. It's basically like a bald head with a low sloping brow, big ears, and it ends just below the wearer's nose like Batman with big giant yellow teeth. It's very, very specific looking. They would then periodically put on those masks and then just casually walk through campus. They wouldn't throw rocks at the crows. They wouldn't say anything. When they initially did this, they estimated about 30% of those crows would scold them, start calling aggressively, and even swoop down towards the individual wearing the mask. So that means the crows could pick out the offending person out of a crowd. But that's not the most impressive part. Over time, those numbers leapt from 30% to virtually all of the crows being able to recognize the mask and scold the wearer. What that means is that the crows learned from just one trial exposure, that initial capture of the seven birds, the face of someone that might do them harm even 11 years later, which is really impressive given that the average lifespan of a crow is just seven to eight years. So many of these birds were told about the bad caveman by an older generation of crows. That's hearsay, I think, in court. I don't know, but it's impressive either way. In another part of that same documentary, they talk about how not only do crows have the ability to use tools, but they can even work out how to use a tool to get another tool to accomplish a task. It's like in Malcolm in the Middle when Hal discovers a light bulb is out and he goes to change it. And then he discovers the shelf that holds the spare light bulbs is loose, so he decides to repair it. And then he goes to get the screwdriver, but that drawer is squeaky, so he grabs the WD-40, but there's none left. So he tries to go get some more, but the engine makes a funny noise in his car. So by the time his wife gets home, he's got the engine completely up out of the car. It's kind of like that, but with grub ones. I think a large part of the bad reputation crows get is because they're scavengers to a large degree. They're scammers. They're street hustlers. A lot of people think crows are bad luck or an omen of bad times to come. I mean, come on, a, a group of them is called a murder, which is way worse than the collective term for a group of ravens. They're just an unkindness. That is a jump to get to murder from unkindness. What if we could take what we know about crows, all their brains and their ability to use tools to exchange information and their sense of 
justice. They're very loyal, by the way. They mate for life, and oftentimes their offspring will help out the parents by keeping a lookout for predators or even helping to feed their younger siblings. It's pretty impressive. What if we could take all of that and just use it for good? And if not good, then okay, personal gain. Corvids, that's the family of birds that crows belong to, have a long history of bringing people gifts. Eight-year-old Gabby Mann has a meticulously labeled and highly regarded collection of trinkets brought to her by neighborhood crows. It all started when she was about four and she dropped part of her lunch. Soon, she had an audience of little beggars. On her way to the bus stop for school with her brother, Gabby would occasionally open her packed lunch and share whatever her mother had packed for her for the day. When her mom, Lisa, found out, they instead decided to make it a regular thing they did together instead of sacrificing their kid's lunch. Each morning, they'd fill the backyard birdbath with fresh water and put out peanuts and handfuls of dog food. As they work, they noticed the crows would line up on the nearby telephone wire. Once they started this routine, that's when the gifts start appearing. The crows would take all the peanuts and leave something shiny on the empty tray, an earring, a hinge from a drawer, a polished rock. Gifts would just show up randomly, anything shiny and small enough to fit into a crow's little mouth. One time, it was a tiny piece of necklace with half a heart and the word best printed on it. Gabby loves to speculate that one of the other crows out there has the other one with the word friends. Now, Lisa regularly takes pictures of the birds. Now, I too am a bit of a photographer, and I'll tell you something, there's nothing quite as frustrating as losing a lens cap. I mean, it is infuriating. You get so mad at yourself. You feel like an idiot, and now a lens that you might have paid upwards of three grand for is just sort of out there in the open to get smudged or cracked. So one day, Lisa is in a nearby alley trying to get the perfect shot of an eagle circling overhead. And she somehow misplaces her lens cap. Annoying, right? Well, she gets all the way back home after shooting. And it's sitting in the backyard on the birdbath. Now, surely she just left it there before walking over to where she had a better view of the eagle, right? But then she remembers they have a bird cam. So she logs onto the laptop and there it is. A crow lands in the yard, walks over to the bird bath, rinses off the lens cap and puts it right down and flies away. It's crazy. So if you ever feel like you're being watched, you are. Look up Gabby's collection online. It's really cute. They're not always winners though. I will say that. Sometimes the gifts are like that of a well-meaning cat, you know, like a dead bird. One time, Gabby's mom had to toss a rotting crab claw. Crow gifts are really like a box of chocolates, I guess. Speaking of boxes, let's talk about something I found called the crow box. Now, I initially saw a guy named Hans Forsberg explain how he was training corvids in his area mostly the magpies in his garden, to bring him things. He makes it sound so easy. I did a little digging, and on thecrowbox.com, a guy named Josh Klein describes himself as a hacker 
and he puts together a great resource for building a device that trains crows called a crow box. And he does not sell it. He just provides instructions on how to make your own. Everything's open source, but you will need to meticulously follow instructions because there's both electronics, hardware, and software involved. So it's probably over my head. Here are the basics. Klein and Forsberg both agree on the methods. First, attract and give free treats to the crows. Second, your machine will have to give treats to the crows upon completing a simple task, like stepping on a certain area or pushing a button. Third, the bird must then learn to exchange something like coins that you've provided, which will trigger the food drop. And finally, profit. You take the coins away and the crows are encouraged to bring you coins that they find out in nature. Now, Klein admits you're never going to get rich, but we just might change how humanity engages with other species. The crow box is an appliance for experimentation and training and interacting with these birds. It's our goal to get people to think differently about how humanity is already training animals like crows, rats, raccoons, deer, and other animals that live near us. Because as he says, right now, we're teaching them to survive as parasites. But what would happen if we could find a mutually beneficial working relationship instead? Wise words from a smart man. But let's take a short break. Smoke them if you got them. Quick question. What would you say is the most common form of plastic pollution? Straws? Disposable cups? Plastic bags? Disposable water bottles? Well, cigarette butts are the most abundant form of plastic waste in the whole world. 4.5 trillion individual butts pollute the earth. A lot of people think cigarette butts are made of cotton or paper or at least something biodegradable, but no. It's plastic. And it's about a third of the world's plastic pollution. Cigarette butts are small and they hide everywhere, so they're tough to find. They're made of cellulose acetate, a man-made synthetic plastic material which take up to 10 years to completely degrade, but because they contain literally hundreds of toxic chemicals, they harm the environment for many more years beyond the life of the cigarette butt itself. These lingering toxins include arsenic, also used in rat poisoning, lead, a poison that can affect the brain development of children, and nicotine. When these toxic plastics are tossed onto the sidewalk or out a car window, they leach toxins into our natural systems, presenting a serious threat to wildlife, water sources, and a long enough timeline, ourselves. So when I tell you that Hans Forsberg isn't interested in collecting nickels and dimes from birds, what I really mean is that he's got much loftier goals for putting Corvids to work. He's training them to pick up cigarette butts. And it's working. Head over to his YouTube channel if you want to be seriously impressed and sincerely inspired. The world would be a much cleaner place if our relationships with wildlife mirrored that of the people I've mentioned today. So the next time you see a crow, instead of feeling a sense of dread or having flashbacks of Hitchcock, choose to see them as the Native Americans always have. The crow is a symbol of great change or transformation. 
which could be why they very well may be doing more to help our environment than even we are. My name's Matt Johnston, and I love a good underdog story. I'm fascinated with people who gave it their best shot and didn't just come up short, but came in dead last. If you know any good ones you'd like to share, just email me at you're the worst pod at gmail.com. Speaking of sharing, if you like what I'm doing, please tell a friend. Find us on all the big ones at YTWpod. For a transcript, just go to halfmiledigital.com. Thanks for listening.